attitude there. We're going to just do it one more time. But I just want you to think about with your eyes closed. Just think about this. I say keep your eyes closed because I want you to get into a perspective. Jay said my perspective had changed. So it's not that he is more present right now than he already was. But can you become more aware of the presence that's already in the room? He looked at Moses and said, take off your sandals where you're standing on holy ground. It was the ground that he had covered all the time. But his perspective was new because God was there. Just take your perspective and shift. It says the, the moment one turns to the Lord, the veil is lifted. So as we turn our perspective towards him, realizing not only are we standing on holy ground, we are seated in heavenly places with him right now now so this is our reality so we're not just trying to picture that there are angels in the room amongst us we are in heavenly places seated with Jesus with the cherubim the seraphim the all of the angels are all around so when we begin to get that perspective then that reality becomes a reality here in this room so let's shift that reality in our perspective this is where and who we are. So with that changed perspective, let's just sing that out together. It says, let us praise in one accord, in unity. As we come together in unity, let His light shine.
good. He is so good. Have your Bibles with me. Turn to John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 8. And I'll be in the Passion version on this part. Uh, but John chapter 8, begin reading in verse 12. John chapter 8 begins with the story of the woman caught in adultery. Remember, and Jesus uh, bends down, writes into the ground. Remember? Uh, and so that story has just happened and ticking probably a lot of Pharisee religious type people off as they all walk off and drop their stone and walk away. He gives the woman the, you know, he says, look, is anybody here to condemn you? No. In Jewish law, there had to be two witnesses to condemn her. He's by himself and he says, neither do I. Go sin no more. Being saying, you're free. Right? You're free. So we pick up at verse 12. He, that's just happened. And Jesus said, I am light to the world. And those who embrace me will experience, notice it's an experience, life-giving light. And they will never walk in darkness. The Pharisees were immediately offended and said, you're just boasting about yourself since we only have your word on this. It makes your testimony invalid. Jesus responded, just because I'm the one making these claims doesn't mean they're invalid. For I absolutely know who I am. That's so much in that right there, right? Jesus, the Son of God, was able... Right? Not, not, this ain't the only reason. But he was able to face those type situations because he knew who he was. There's something for us as sons and daughters of God to know who we are. On, we good. cannot go back and forth. We can't just, just go in with the world and what comes by and says, you're this. And we say, okay, well, maybe I am that. Right? We can't sway. James says we are like shifting, Right? You can't be shifting like that. You've got to be confident and know who you are and whose you are. Right? Jesus responded, just because I'm the one making these claims doesn't mean they're invalid, for I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. But you Pharisees have no idea about what I'm saying. You set yourselves up as judges as for others based on outward appearances, but I certainly never judge others in that way. For I discern the truth. And I am not alone in my judgment for my Father and I have the same understanding in all things. And He has sent me to you. Isn't it written in the law of Moses that the testimony of two men is trustworthy? Then what I say about who I am is truth. For I am not alone in my testimony. My Father is the other witness and we testify together of the truth. And then they ask, well just who is this Father of yours? Where is He? Jesus answered, you wouldn't ask that question if you knew who I am or my father. For if you knew me, you would recognize my father too. Jesus told all these things while standing in the treasure room of the temple. And no one dared to arrest him, for it wasn't yet his time to surrender to men. Notice, they can't do anything unless he surrenders. One day Jesus said again, I am about to leave you. You will want to find me, but you will still die in your sins. You won't be able to come where I'm going. This so confused the Jewish leaders that they began to say, is he planning to commit suicide? What's he talking about? You won't be able to come where I'm going. Jesus spoke up and said, you are all from the earth. I 
and from above. I am not from this world like you are. That's why I told you. You all die in your sins if you fail to believe that I am who I am. So they asked him plainly, who are you? I am the one I've always claimed to be, Jesus replied, and I still have many more things to pronounce in judgment about you, for I will testify to the world of the truths that I have heard from my Father. And the Father who sent me is trustworthy. Even after all this, they still didn't realize that he was speaking about his heavenly Father. You will know me as I am. After you have lifted me up from the earth as the Son of Man, then you will realize that I do nothing on my own initiative, but I only speak the truth that the Father has revealed to me. I am his messenger. He will always be with me, for I only do that which delights his heart. These words cause many respected Jews to believe in him. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers. For if you embrace the truth, it will release true freedom into your lives. How do we release true freedom into your lives? Embrace Him. Embrace His teachings and it will release something in you. What is that something in you? Rivers of living water will flow from you. Surprised by this, they said, but we're the descendants of Abraham. We've already been free. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How could you say that we'll be released into more freedom? I speak eternal truth, Jesus said. When you sin, you are not free. You become a slave in bondage to your sin. And slaves have no permanent standing in the family like a son does. For a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free from sin, then become a true son and be unquestionably free. Some many versions may say... If the sun sets you free, you are free. What? Indeed. That word indeed there, free indeed, in verse 36, is the Greek word ontus. It means the opposite of what is pretended. That means you can't even pretend, right? You can't even use the, 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 the phrase we use, fake it till you make it, right? He's not even saying that. He's like, we pretend so much, right? We pretend so much. I noticed even with our kids at school that they had to wear those masks, right? And by the end of the year, they had learned to do what? So that they didn't have to answer questions. So that nobody had to know who they really were. To know the pain that was behind the mask. What did they do? They hid behind it. Right? We hide. We pretend that everything's okay. Everything's all right. And he says, no longer do you have to do that. Because the sun sets you free. There's no more pretending. It is who you are. You are a son and a daughter of the king. That's your identity. It's who you are, right? And so I want us to look back at a couple of passages. Um, in the Bible app, you won't be able to follow along because they don't have Isaiah in the Passion Version yet. Um, but in Bible Gateway, if you want to use it, you can. Or you can just follow along in your own version. But I'm going to be reading the Passion Version of Isaiah um, chapter 8. And we're going to look at a couple of scriptures here in Isaiah. Um, while you're getting that ready, I need a couple of volunteers to read a couple of passages for me. Ephesians 5.27, John 8.12, 2 Corinthians 4.6, Matthew 5, 14-16. Romans eleven thirty two. I got it. Alright, Miranda, can you do that one in passion? Okay. Ephesians 4, 18. Okay. And Colossians 1, 13-15. I got that one. 
Alright, and then Colossians 2 9. Alright. So Isaiah chapter 8, listen to, to what remember these are prophecies in Isaiah. Okay. Now listen to this. It's verse 20 of chapter 8. He says, You are to answer them. Wait, let's go back to verse 19. Now suppose someone says, Consult mediums and spiritists who moan and mutter their incantations in their ritual pits. After all, isn't it right for people to seek oracles from their gods by asking the dead about the destiny of the living? You are to answer them by this way. Listen to this. Listen to the teaching and instruction of the Lord. If their speech does not line up with His word, they will have no light of dawn. Right? When we looked at, is your eye single? Remember when we looked at that? And we talked about when Jesus said, is your eye single? Right? And He talked about the light in you is darkness. The light in them was darkness. And He says, how dark is that really? Right? Because they had no idea. They think they're living light, and yet they're living in complete darkness. And He's talking about religion. He's talking about religious um, things that we get our, our minds into that, hey, this is the way it's supposed to be, right? We're supposed to check off the list. We're supposed to do it this certain way. We've got to do all these things right. We've got to pray a certain way, look a certain way, dress apart, act apart. Yeah. What did he just say in this part? Act the part ain't you anymore. To stop the pretending, because if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. So then he goes on to say, they will wander here and there, distressed and hungry, and when they are famished, they will be enraged and begin to curse their king and their God. If they look to the heavens or to the earth, they will find only despair and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into obscure darkness. So if they're looking for anywhere except for the real light, what did he say they're going to be walking in? Darkness. Obscure darkness, right? It's not just a little bit of dark, right? It's dark. Because there is no measurement. I think I mentioned that last week or we talked about it Wednesday night. There's no measurement in darkness. You can't measure the dark. You can measure light. You can see how fast light travels. There's frequency in light. There's no frequency in darkness. There's no travel in darkness. Darkness is just darkness. Right? So when you're walking in darkness, there's no degree or level to that darkness. It's just dark. So he says you've got to walk in the light. How do we do that? Continue reading. We open up to, ver- to chapter 9. In chapter 9, he says, No more gloom for those who are in distress. Although the Lord greatly humbled the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali. This just swapped on me. <clears throat> he will one day bestow upon them great honor from the Mediterranean eastward to the other side of the Jordan and throughout the Galilee of Gentiles. Those who walked in darkness have seen a radiant light shining upon them. They once lived in the shadows of death, but now a glorious light has what? Dawned. Notice this land, all right? If we're just reading this and we don't take time to really study it, we're probably going to miss something in this chat, in this verse right here, in this land, right? Whenever he says, in the regions of Zebulon and Naphtali, how many of you know exactly why he's saying that right there? We don't, right? We just, well, that's some weird words. We just keep on going, right? This was the first region that was 
captivated by the Assyrians. Okay? The Assyrians captured these regions and held them in captive, captivity and bondage. All right? All the way back before Christ's birth. Okay? I think 700 years, something like that, before Christ's birth. Okay? So they were some of the first regions. And he's declaring to them that a light has come. Guess where the regions are where Jesus lived and did his miracles? We know it as Nazareth, Galilee, those type places. But you know where those original places were called? Zebulon and Naphtali. So who's the light? He says it was dark. And now what's come upon you in this verse? You have seen a great light. He's showing you. This is prophecy being fulfilled that Jesus is that light, right? To shine forth in the darkness. Those who walked in darkness have seen a radiant light doing what? Shining. It is shining, right? But now glorious light has dawned. Lord, you have multiplied the nation and give them overwhelming joy. They are ecstatic in your presence and rejoice like those who bring a great harvest and those who divide up the spoils of victory. Who are these people? These are the people following the light. So you've got to ask yourself, are you in this light? Are you following the light? Because it says this is what's going to happen to those who are following light. Now, remember, Jesus said, going all the way back to when we talked about that, my eye is single. There is a darkness that we claim is light, and therefore, how dark are we really? So if we want to know if we're really walking in light, what's going to be happening? Those who walked in darkness have seen a radiant shining light upon them. They once lived in the shadows of death, but now a glorious light is dawn. Lord, you have multiplied the nation. That means many will be doing what? Coming to your light. Your light. And giving them overwhelming joy. Are you walking around with overwhelming joy even despite the circumstances? They are ecstatic in your presence. Well, we're in His presence this morning. Are you overwhelmed with ecstatic joy? Or are you just sitting there like, I wish they would hurry up and finish so we can get the preaching done so I can go home and eat? Where is where is your where is you? where is you? <laughs> they rejoice like those who bring a great harvest. We don't understand that a lot. Even our farmers today don't understand this harvest is talking about here. I mean, they're working out no tractors, right? We're talking about hard labor. No pumps to run water for you. Praying for rain, praying for sunshine, praying for rain, praying for sunshine. And then when you do get an actual real harvest, bro, you you happy because that's your whole life right there. How you going to eat, how you going to provide, everything. He says that's, that's what you're going to act like. That's how you're going to rejoice. Right? Is that how we're rejoicing? For you have broken the chains that have bound your people and lifted off the heavy bar across their shoulders... The rod the oppressor used against them, you have shattered all their bondage, just as you did when the Midian armies were defeated. Every boot of marching troops and every uniform caked with blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Then he goes on to say, the famous passage that we get at Christmas, a child has been born to you. What did he say about the increase of his government? The increase of his government, there will be what? No end. No end. No end. Right? 
So then again, we have to ask ourselves, are we following religion, the world, or real life? Because there are obvious things that it's saying is going to happen with those people if they are really walking in light. Alright? Now, let's go over to Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60. And let's start with verse 1. We're only going to read a few of these. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Rise up in splendor and be radiant for your light has dawned and Yahweh's glory now streams from you. Now, before we can even go any further, that's a lot in that verse. Because I want you to think about it. Prophecy is saying there is darkness and gloom. Everywhere you look, even the light that you think you're walking in is actual darkness. But there is a light coming prophecy to you, right? The prophecy to you, there's a light coming. We see by the prophecy that we just read in Isaiah 9, who was that prophecy about? Jesus. He says when that light has come upon you, there is an increase of that type of government, there will be no end, and that is an ecstatic, joyous splendor of goodness. Now, you see what I'm saying? Now, you have to realize Isaiah 60 is now shifting from it talking about Jesus to now we're talking about you. Isaiah 60 now is saying this is what's going to happen. Right? Now, we've already seen the prophecies fulfilled 2,000 years ago in Christ in Isaiah 8 and 9. Right? Now, here 60 is about you. This is you now. This is not... In the sweet by and by because these are things that have to take place on the earth. You understand what I'm saying? Alright? So rise up in splendor and be what? Radiant. What are you supposed to do now? Shine. You're going to shine. You're going to reflect the actual glory of God. What is His glory? His goodness. You're going to reflect His what? Goodness. Right? You're going to begin to walk in the goodness of God. Not just saying, oh, I've got to have His blessing. 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 He's going to give you His blessing, but to walk in His goodness and to walk in His glory means you're going to flow with that goodness and glory to everybody around you. Did you get what you deserve? No. That means the people around you from you is going to flow a river of love to give them what they didn't deserve even when they gave you a stab in the back. You're still going to love them. You're still going to show them the goodness of God. Right? Jesus looked at his disciples at his and said, what is it to love somebody back that already loves you? So he is trying to get us into a place of that, right? As in heaven on earth, right? So we talk about signs and wonders. We talk about miracles, right? And those are real. Those are right. And we should be displaying those and flowing through those. But we should also be flowing through love as his number one thing. First Corinthians 13, I can speak in tongues of angels, but without love it is nothing, right? So it has to be a display of his goodness as well. His goodness is coming like... That song that we sang last week, He heals because He's good, right? We have to understand His goodness or we ain't going to want to lay hands on people, right? So to become radiant, He says, you have to rise up basically in splendor. 
What is He saying? Rise up and take your place. I've already done it. I've already provided. I've already changed you. You just got to accept it and rise up in it. Take your place. Right? We said that last week. A policeman, whenever it's time to stop somebody, he doesn't say, I'm about to take my... Pat, do you walk around whenever you're about to arrest somebody and say, Hold on, I'm about to take my authority with you, buddy. <laughs> Every time he says. Or you just do your job and just go handle it. Do just do your job and go handle it. Right? But we do that with the enemy all the time. I take my authority over you, devil. Right? Just walk in it. And you do it. You just slap him around and you keep going, right? He's all, that's right. He's already bound. Right? You walk in Most of the time, we just try to remind ourselves because we're scared. Right? And that criminal, you walking around like you scary, saying, I'll take my authority. Boy, he's going to laugh at you in your face. We'll run off. Right? It means take your place. Rise up in splendor. Yahweh's glory now does what? Streams from you. It is not something you're acquiring. It says now, present tense, it flows from you. But so often we're not realizing it. So since we don't realize it and release it, what are we doing? Stopping it. We're putting a stop in it. Right? And he's saying, this is who you are now. Notice what he says in verse 3. Nations will be attracted to your radiant light and kings to the sunrise glory of your new day. Nations, nations, guys, will be attracted to your radiant light. What did Jesus say in John 17? Whenever you are finally one in me and one with each other, that's when the world will know. When you are one with me and one with each other, then the world will see. Then the world will know. They will be so attracted to that light. That's the light they're waiting on. Right? Not all the ridicule we do. Not all the putting down of every denomination and their mama wanting to say, well, we're right and you're wrong. Not to say, me and Brent were talking about that, I think it was Friday. Not to walk around and saying, you're right and you're wrong about I watch Fox News, you watch CNN. I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. I like the shot, I don't like the shot. I want to wear a mask, I don't want to wear a mask. Put down your I'm right, you're wrong mentality for just a minute and begin to love on people. There was a lot of things that Jesus could have said I'm right and you're wrong about. A lot, guys. A lot. He was around Government leaders, soldiers, the down and out, the people you wasn't supposed to talk to, the Samaritans, all these people. And he could have said, now let's get our theology right real quick and then we can finally talk with each other. Or did he show them truth and love and then they were awakened to truth and love. It's never going to happen by argument. Never going to happen by saying I'm right, you're wrong. It will only happen by surrendering of yourself in love. And sometimes, sometimes, that means you're going to have to swallow your pride. What did he do with Judas? The night of the betrayal. He knew what Judas was going to do. And he even looked at Judas. Right? 
as 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 tradition puts it, John was on one side and Judas was on the other side, laying on his chest that night, taking partaking of the Last Supper. Did he say, "Boy, I know what you're about to do. Get up off me"? That's not what he said. He still served him. He still washed his feet, and he still looked at him and said, "Now go do what you was gonna do from the beginning." I don't think we understand that kind of love. So we still got a long way to go. But that doesn't mean we're not trying to get there. We cannot say, well, I can't do it. That's Jesus. Where is Jesus now? Inside you. That's why he says stand up in it. Right? I'm going to stand up in his presence. He's already in me. I'm just going to be his vessel that he's going to use. And we've already seen what he's done. So therefore, let him continue to do it. Right? So he says, lift up your eyes higher. Look all around you and believe for your sons are returning from far away. Your daughters are being tenderly carried home. Watch as they all gather together, either eager to come back to you. Again, who is this verse talking about? Who? Who is this talking about? Jesus or you? Yeah. You. This is you. This is you. Let's look at these couple of passages real quick. Ephesians 5.27 says, All that He does in us is designed to make us a mature church for His pleasure until we become a source of praise to Him, glorious and radiant, beautiful and holy, without fault or flaw. Mm. He's trying to do what in us? Make us what? A mature, church. a mature church, which does what? Is radiant, it says. A mature church is radiant. Meaning, according to this passage, the light is going to be so bright, everybody's going to come. Not because you got the best music. Not because you got the best speaker in town. Not because you do everything right. But because your light so shines. Your light so shines. Not because we finally get the right message out there on Facebook. Not because we buy a bunch of shirts to say our name on it. None of that stuff. It says because your light will shine. Right? Look at the next passage, John 8, 12, which is what we just read in John chapter 8. Just to remind you, Jesus says, I am... I am the light of the world, and whoever walks in my light will never walk in darkness. Second Corinthians 4, 6. The one who spoke light into existence. Right? Think about Genesis for just a second. Whenever he spoke and it said it was no nothing, it was darkness, and he spoke. It never says he created darkness, by the way. You ever notice that in Genesis? Did you ever notice that? He says he created light and he separated the light from dark and called the light day and the dark night. So that means darkness was already there. 
And what was supposed to happen with the light? It was supposed to flood the earth from Eden until nothing but light remained because the end result that we read is what? The whole earth will be given by his light. We will no longer need the sun. And he just read to us that Paul says that same one that spoke let there be light into that darkness is now doing that with you. With you. Why? So that you can take your light into this dark world. And when we do that, the world will be attracted to that light. And when the world is attracted to that light, it will multiply until the whole world is full of light. Now, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Your lives light up the world. For how can you not a serious stand on the hill with them? And who will light a lamp and hide it in an, in an obscure place? And say it's a place where everyone in the house can bear your light. So don't hide your light. They shine right on the floor of this to the commendable works of time that light upon them. And then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. So he says, who are you? He says, I'm the light of the world. But in this passage, he says, what? You are the light of the world. So if he's the light of the world, now he's saying we're the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? He's the light of the world put inside you so that you can light this place up. Why did he say it's better for me to go? So that I can be in every one of you, not just be in one place, but I can be in every one of you and we'll multiply this dude. Right? Right? What to tell Aaron this morning, my sermon title ought to be Lighted Up Like the Fourth of July. <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do. What do fireworks do in the dark sky? They light it up, right? And it's splendor. What do people do? They stop in awe. In the glory of it. It's attractive, right? So, <clears throat> looking back with me on chapter 60 of Isaiah, read verse 5 with me. Then you will understand and be radiant. Your heart will be thrilled as well with joy. The fullness of the sea will flow to you and the wealth of the nations will be transferred to you. There is a lot of wealth in that one verse. He says all of a sudden you're going to get understanding of who you are. And when you get that understanding of who you are, you're going to shine. You're going to shine. Not only are you going to shine, but the it says that the seas will come to you, right? And that's not just called, talking about the fish and the whales, right? If you look at the original context, it's talking about the sea of humanity, okay? The sea of humanity will come to you. In fact, the, the Hebrew word there is nahar, which means it's all going to begin to flow together. So light is going to interact with light and light and light until it's all just one light. It's going to flow together. It's a beautiful picture if we could just get it in our minds, right? So he says, as you understand, the word there for light actually means to sparkle. <laughs> just like your sparklers, you're going to do with your kids this evening. Lights it up and it's attractive. Your kids just be like mesmerized with it. Like, right? And they start... We, we try to spell things out with it because once you do like this, if you ever notice, if you've never done that before... If you do like this, you can still kind of see that light there for a second. So if you do like a B for my name, and we just spell out our name for a second, it just kind of hangs in the light. Right? 
It's mesmerizing. And he says, you will be mesmerizing. As you understand this, you will sparkle. We're not just talking about a bubbly person that's just kind of happy. We're talking about real stuff here, right? We're so far removed from the Word of God that we think this stuff is foreign. They had to put a veil, a literal veil over Moses' face, right? Because it's beamed out with light. Do you know that whenever the revival at Azusa Street, that they would call the fire department because they saw fire coming from the buildings and when they got there, it wasn't nothing but people worshiping? There was no fire. It was glowing. Like we got to understand we're so far removed in our little finite minds that we got to understand that this light is real. And this light is going to shine and attract the nations, it says. The sea of humanity is going to attract them, right? So look at Romans 11.32. Did I give that one out? Yeah, I have it. Okay. Actually, God considers all of humanity to be prisoners of their unbelief I don't know if you get that. What we just talked about and then read what Paul says right here. He says what? He considers what? All of humanity doing what? Prisoners of their unbelief. Meaning they got the wrong, what Jay say earlier, they got the wrong perspective. They got the wrong eyesight. They need new eyes. They need eyes to see. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your imagination be illuminated. Right? You need new eyes. You need new perspective. You need to see what I'm really trying to do. Right? We pray for God to do a new thing on the earth. We pray that scripture out. God do a new thing on the earth. When he does something new, say we say, no, I can't have nothing to do with that because I ain't never seen that before. New eyes. New eyes. We've got to change our perspective. And he says they are in bondage of their own perceptions. And Christ came to undo the delusion of mankind so that they could actually see who the Father really was and who they really are. Now. That was the point, right? Look at Ephesians 4.18. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. So what keeps them from seeing the true knowledge of God? Their own what? Darkness. Darkness. What is the darkness? Wrong perspective. What's the darkness? Wrong perspective. What's the darkness? Wrong perspective. We need a new perspective. The minute one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And then that verse says, the Lord is the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Colossians 1, 13-15. He has rescued us from wicked prompting to rightful rule of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom realm of his holy spirit. For I love that. The Paul uses past tense there. He says he has. 
past tense, rescued us from the tyrannical rule of darkness. The tyrannical rule of your wrong perspective. Because your wrong perspective will rule you, right? Perspective is your reality. So we're going to walk in darkness because that's our reality. And he says, He has, past tense, rescued us from the tyrannical rule of darkness. And He did what? Transported you to His marvelous light. Where is work? Ephesians 1 says that's in heavenly places seated with Him. There ain't nothing but light there. That's you. That's you. That's who you are. So finish up with Colossians 2. Colossians 2 9. He is the complete deity living in human form. Right? So he showed us what light looks like. Right? Then he did what? Put himself inside you so you had no excuse. <laughs> now that's grace. That's how grace enables you. Right? Listen to the mirror version real quick. We're going to close with this. The mirror version of Colossians says this. The life of their design seems foreign to them. Because their minds are darkened through a hardened heart ruled by ignorance. They are blinded by the illusion of the senses. What we smell, taste, touch, all this stuff. They are blinded by the illusion of the senses as the only reference. Stubbornly wearing a blindfold in broad daylight. Stubbornly wearing a blindfold in broad daylight. Who wants to do that? But we do it. I don't know either. That's crazy, ain't it? Look at Glenn and say, that's crazy, boy. Tell him he's crazy. <laughs> that word there in the Greek means a veiled mind through unbelief. A veiled mind through unbelief. Meaning when you hear these kinds of things, you say, ah, it can't be me. Ah, I can't do that. Ah, that can't be part of me. Oh, that was Jesus, but that's not me. Oh, that was the apostles, but that's not me. That's a veiled mind through unbelief, right? And how do we get that veil to be removed then? Because we all kind of have some of that unbelief. How do we get that veil to be removed? What did it say? What did we already mention what Paul says? The minute one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Where is the Lord? Is He high, far, far away? So where do I turn and look? Why do you think a lot of people bow their heads and pray? Because I ain't got to go far away. I'm turning inward to where he is seated. Me and him are seated here, but my reality is there. And we are here together, seated in heavenly places, right? He says, behold, I knock on the door. Will you open that door, right? In my father's house. Where's the house now? In In my father's house is... Many dwelling places. Many dwelling places. 
How many is inside you? You see what we're not exposed to and don't understand? Inside you, if you could only see. Inside you where he says, I will, I don't want a house made of human hands. I want to be inside you. You don't realize how much is in you. Right? You don't realize how much is in you. If we realize, I mean, think about it. What is this world after? Human bodies. Right? To inhabit. Why? Because they know something you don't. We're veiled to it. They know, even demons know something you don't. That you got life in you. Rooms upon rooms upon rooms upon rooms. In my house are many dwellings. If it were not so, I would not have told you, he said. But we just walk on past that verse. Just walk right on past it. He says, so that what? Where I am, there you will be also. Boom, we're together right now. Boom, and he is in you. Lighting it up. Ready for you to release that light so that everyone will be attracted to the light. So let's just bow real quick. Father, I just reminded right now whenever you looked across the thousands and said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, many of them walked away until there was hardly any left. They said, this is a hard word for us. Father, your word this morning is a good word. But also with our worldly minds and our religious minds, it's hard. So just reminded of your scripture that says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, I want to believe that this is true. I want to believe that you are inside of me. I want to believe that you are light, and so therefore I am nothing but light on the inside. And that you want that light to be released in me. I want to believe that. So Father, help my unbelief. I turn inward where you are, and you are seated in heavenly places, and I am with you, and you are with me. I am in you, and you are in me. Father, change my perspective and my lenses until there is nothing left but me and you. So that nothing but you comes out of me. That our light collides together and now flows together until my brothers and my sisters are formed together in that same light and we flow as one. Into your marvelous light, we have been transported from darkness to your light. No longer no longer are we ignorant to truth. For Jesus, you are the exact replica of truth. And you showed us exactly what truth looks like. So no longer are we ignorant to the fact of what a son looks like. What a relationship with Papa and Son looks like. And you have brought us into this relationship so that we can walk in the same oneness. Father and Son.
to know you fully and to be known fully by you. into our environment. You are good and your love endures forever. You are so good. So Father, I pray over everyone here today, enlighten us, open our eyes to truth, you are true, so open our eyes. No longer bound by ignorance, no longer bound by our own mindset, but our minds be completely renewed into the Word of God. That your prophecies be fulfilled in us, that we become light. And so attractive with radiant light, as Paul says, to become mature bride, ready to receive you.